Hey, my name's Ian Begley. You're watching the NBA Exchange with Dexter Henry. Welcome, everybody, to the Wednesday edition of the NBA Exchange. Obviously, it's our first show for the month of February since we were gone all of last week. But we are back with so many good things to talk about. Now, a lot of the stuff you're going to hear about is about the NBA trade deadline. That is coming up. We will talk a little bit about trades on the show. But just want to let everybody know, tomorrow at noon, we will have a special live Thursday show a little Ain't Hard to Tell podcast slash NBA Exchange crossover uh, in which we will be talking about the upcoming trade deadline a couple hours before it. It's already been busy and active, and hopefully there will be more for us to talk about. One of the people who will be joining me on that show is my guest who joins me on the show every Wednesday here today. That is my man, Gerard Hector. Gerard, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Happy Black History Month to you. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Black History Month uh, off to, off to a good start um, <laughs> for me. You know, you saw Brian Flores out there representing for the people uh, with the NFL. Um, you know, at 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 make it be known out here in this Black History Month. Yeah, and you know yeah. what, what, what we gonna be discussing today? I think is apropos for the fact that it is Black History Month. Yo, I, I, I think so. I think so, too. Um, obviously, I think it should be noted as um, is Black History Month, Black creators like myself and Gerard. Uh, I think it's always a pleasure to have us together in the same space, being able to do that. We need to see more people doing that around the NBA still. There's still ways to go in that. So uh, as we talk about diversity and inclusion, so that that's always dope. Glad you are well, man. Um, I, I told you I took a trip out to the West Coast last week. <laughs> I was in Utah. I was in Reno, Nevada for a little bit in the surrounding areas looking for some ranches for you. Uh, you know, in, in, in some of these spots that I know you're looking for. Yes, people, Gerard is looking for a ranch. He's, yes, he's, yes. He's disclosed to me. <laughs> yes, I, I would. Listen, I, I found myself getting into that Yellowstone in 1883. And then whenever you start watching these, like, these shows, at least for me anyway, you start like thinking, like you fantasize, like, oh, it must be nice to actually own a ranch. But here's the thing. I ain't trying to do no ranch work, okay? <laughs> I don't want no cattle. I, no, no, I'm, I'm not doing none of that. I just want the land to do what the hell ever I want to do and I have nobody else around. <laughs> yeah, you know what? No judgment to that. I have, I have, I have no judgment to that at all. You just want the land and the space. Yeah, man. Gerard's not really here for the work. We've had, nah, a, we've had a good laugh really about that, that uh, recently. <laughs> all right. But I, I want to get into this and, and let the people know. So Gerard and I have, we always talk, we have conversations off the show all the time about basketball analytics. I think if you've watched the show, if you've watched other content that we've been on, I think it would be safe to say, Gerard, and I don't think I'm out of turn, is Gerard likes to use the numbers to support what his eyes uh, are te- or is allowing him to see on the court. Uh, he's very been that. So we've had plenty of discussions around analytics. But over, I would say, the past decade or so, there's been a rise in NBA basketball with analytics being used by a lot of coaches, uh, players, front offices, of course, uh, to use this. So, Gerard, I will ask you this. As somebody who uses the numbers, looks at advanced stats to help you understand what it is that you're seeing on the court, what have you thought about the rise of analytics in the NBA? And we can even talk sports in general and how it's been used. I mean, it's interesting, right? Like, analytics in and of themselves – it's not anything different or new, right? It's just a new way to quantify what it is you're actually watching, right? So if you want to look at basketball as a sport that we're talking about here, right? 
when we were growing up and we were young, the things we looked at were points per game, rebounds, right? Like mm-hmm. all the counting, traditional counting stats, right? Same thing in baseball, right? Batting average, home runs, RBI, right? All those sorts of things. But what we've realized over time is, is that there might be a smarter way to talk about this stuff because those raw counting numbers don't give you context, right? All 40 home run guys aren't the same, just like all 25 point per game guys aren't the same, right? How are you getting those 25 points per game? Is it efficient? When is it happening, et cetera? Is it, are those 25 points helping your team actually win games? Right? All, all the different things that, that we look at. And so in terms of analytics, I like it as something to use to help you tell a better story, if, uh, for lack of a better phrase. Um, the, the one thing we have to look at is the over-reliance on it and doing it to the exclusion, right? And oftentimes that's what happens with human beings. Our brains work in binaries, right? It's either or. I'm left or I'm right. I'm fat or I'm this. I'm this or I'm that, right? Like that's generally how our brains like to operate. But the world exists in multicolor, right? Like it's there's nuance. This is Wednesdays with nuance. NBA is with nuance on Wednesdays, right? Mm-hmm. There are different components to it. And so I think if you don't have the context, you know, it, it, it runs into a similar story with analytics where you're just relying on numbers and you're not giving proper context. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right about that. And it, it's interesting because there seems to now be this sort of either you're pro-analytics or you're anti-analytics. And sometimes Binary. it yep. seems, right, there's no, as you were saying, there's no in-between. You had pointed out to me, and I want to bring this up for our, our viewers uh, on the show, you had pointed out to me some comments that Isaiah Thomas had tweeted about uh, recently that I thought was really interesting for us to talk in terms of analytics. So I'm going to bring it up for people so they can see. And Isaiah Thomas said, the marketing of analytics in the NBA has convinced coaches and players to think and play the game the exact same way to achieve accurate measurements. Some players and teams would be better off playing a different style. I found this interesting, Gerard, because one of the things we've seen through analytics, and I will put it specifically on this, is the value of your shot, right? So, it's better to get shots closer to the rim. Obviously, they're the highest percentage shots you can get. And then three-pointers have become increasingly more valuable as players have become more skilled with that. And the mid-range shot has decreased in value because they're sort of the not really toughest and distance shots to take, but they just don't give you the highest percentage of rate of return, shall you say, if you're, if you're looking at that. Um, what did you think of Isaiah's comments here? regarding analytics and i think he used an interesting word there which was the marketing of mm-hmm. analytics which was rather fascinating to me what do you think of his comments here uh first i thought they were interesting and i first want to say this um you know this is one of those things where i think we need to not do the thing where we kill the messenger because who's saying it right mm-hmm. take away you know the things we know about isaiah thomas as it relates to his tenure with the knicks and all those type of things that we know were we're not positive, okay? What I will and can say about this man is, one, as we know, hell of a player. Hall of Flamer, Famer, one of the all-time great players to ever play this game. Two, he has a very keen knowledge and understanding of this game, not only in the era that he played in, but in the era that is going, is going on right now, more so than many of the other old older heads like your Charles Barkley's, et cetera, right? Like, Zeke actually speaks the game at an, at an intelligent level. And I think I thought there was some, some definitely interesting points in his remarks in terms of the marketing of analytics, right? In the sense that the way that it is presented, right, by people, it is analytics is just threes, 
and layups, right? And that's not exactly true, but that is how it is marketed, right? That is how the people who control the basketball narrative talk about it, right? And who controls the basketball narrative? Those are your TNT shows, right? That's Chuck mm-hmm. and all these guys, right? That's Stephen A. Smith on ESPN. That's Nick Ride on FS1, right? The, these types of shows, these talking head shows, drive the narrative and conversation around basketball. Why? Because they speak to the casual fan. And the casual fan is the larger block of fan bases that we're, we're talking about here for, for sports in general. Diehards, right, are not the people that drive the conversation. They just aren't, right? Because diehards are smaller in number, right? Because if you really think about it, if you, di- if you really go deep into diehard basketball fans and what they talk about and you watch these shows, those two things do not line up. What they're talking about, the diehard group, and what happens, it's not the same thing, right? And so I thought that was very interesting by Zeke. And I have to agree with them in that, in that sense that the way the game is marketed now with the way it's spoken about anyway, people have a misconception about what analytics is and it's now causing coaches and teams and GMs to do things in a similar way. Right. Again, I talk about context. You need to be smart, right? Yes. We know in a, in a vacuum or not, not even in a vacuum in reality, the best shots to get are the ones that are closest to the rim, right? Cause they're the easiest. And it makes sense to get free throws, right? Because get your team in the, in the foul, get the opponent into foul trouble. You get free points at the basket with no defense. Of course, that makes sense. And then threes are the highest shot in the game in terms of the most points they can give you. That's not rocket science. Like, get it. Makes 100% makes sense. Where you have an issue, though, is when you have GMs and teams who are not smart about how they construct their teams, just copying and saying, oh, we got to just shoot mm-hmm. more threes. Or we, it's like, okay, you do. But in what context, right? Out of the flow of what? How are you generating this more threes? Do you have the roster construction to do that, right? right? Like, I think these are the things that, again, it's not just, all right, layups and threes and free. Yeah, sure. But how do I get that? Do I have my team constructed properly enough to do that? We always say in sports, sector, it's a copycat league, right? And it's true. Mm-hmm. That happens all the time. When one team sees success in something, you all of a sudden see teams that come after them or in the following seasons trying to replicate, okay? But again, context matters. Do you have the personnel that can replicate? Or keeping in mind that layups, getting your opponent in foul, in foul trouble, and threes are the highest valued shots. Okay, I know that. Those are facts. Those, those are indisputable facts. How do I get this roster that I have to make those things happen? Right. There's got, there's got to be some nuance uh, involved, involved there with that. So IT, Zeke had this quote. Um, he was on a podcast on the boardroom with uh, – with Kevin Durant, and he said, analytics may be good in society. Analytics and sports only makes everyone conform and act and think the same way. What makes champions, you know, champions, what makes champions, you know, champions are, is that when they have a different style playing against a different style. So I think that begs the question is, do too many NBA teams play the same way right now? And has everybody been going for, okay, let's get the high percentage twos, let's go high volume with threes. And as you noted, too many teams playing the same way, but ignoring the personnel. Yeah, I think we we actually are seeing some diversity in offense, right? For instance, the way the Miami Heat play, right, is very different to the way that the Milwaukee Bucks play, right? Um, those are two teams that have varied offensive styles. Now, look, ultimately, what are you trying to do in basketball? Create mismatch and advantage, right? How do I get my best players to be in the most advantageous position on the basketball court? That's ultimately the game that you're trying to play. Now, though. The way in which you create that recipe or that soup at the end is different, right? And the smartest coaches, Eric Spolstra, Ty Lue, et cetera, 
they all do things differently. You know, <laughs> and this is not no shade to your guys, but you look at a guy like Tom Thibodeau for your beloved Knicks, right? You have a specific kind of roster, but Tibbs coaches in a specific type of way. Well, maybe the roster he has doesn't actually fit the way he likes to coach, right? And that's the thing. Coaches need to be like, it's not so much about, no, this is my system. I'm going to bend you to this. More so, I have a general basketball philosophy. However, these are the ingredients I have. How do I make these people the best possible uh, versions of themselves to ultimately get the end desired results, right? There needs to be some more malleability there. And I don't know that enough coaches have that, right? It's too much square peg, round hole. And so you do see some sort of, uh, um, you, d- you definitely see some some sort of sameness happening. And it's typically with teams, right, that don't end up performing well that do that, right? But the teams that realize what my what my roster is, what my strengths and weaknesses are, they can adapt and figure things out. Again, you know, shout out to our, our, our boy, Brian Fonseca, who loves the heat. Yes, he does. <laughs> Spolstra is able to work with generally whatever he has, right? And he figures out a way to make it work, right? Um, they didn't have Jimmy and Bam for most of the first half of the season, yet they're number one in the East, right? Like they they just figure things out, right? They're able to shift and mold. Ty Lu, uh, Coach Thor talks about this all the time. No ego. This isn't working. Scrap. I'm going to something else, right? That whatever's going to get me to the end result, that's what I'm willing to do. I think you need to see more of that from coaches. No, I, I, th- I think you're right about that. I think the other thing that comes up to me when I think about it in terms of analytics, and you and I have had other conversations on this show about this, is player development, right? So if you become too married, and, and Isaiah Thomas talked a little bit about this as well too, which is that sometimes players are doing things that aren't really in necessarily for their skill set, but this is what the team wants to do because they're following this analytical trend, and they're, therefore they're having the team do that. What what do you think about how this, because in one ways, analytics, if you look at it, could benefit player development, but in another way, it could also stunt player development. Yeah. I would think the good organizations, you know, have, there's a fine line between that and they know how to toe that line. There's a happy medium, right? That's, yeah. that's, that's the saying, you know, again, and I hate to keep bringing up your next, but the example I'll go to, it's fine. And, <laughs> and we don't know the context, but it was Julius Randle yelling at a dude on the sideline with the Knicks that had a computer in his hand, right? Right. And he was clearly trying to show him something. What? I don't know. And I don't know what the relationship is. And then he just kind of slams the computer, the laptop shut because he didn't want to hear what he had to say, right? That was funny. And everybody got memes about it. And that's kind of a way of like, see, analytics versus like, again, I have no idea what was said, what the back and forth was, who knows what that was about. However, right, What is what is the way in which players – and the teams can develop a trust system. That's what this is about. It's about trust. The reason why players either balk against something or vice versa is because you haven't done the work to establish trust, right? Mm. If trust is there, players will listen to whatever the, the suggestion is or whatever, right? But if you don't have that trust established and you try to tell me, okay, you need to do X, Y, and, well, why am I listening to you? I've been doing this. I was an all-NBA guy last year. I was whatever. I don't, I don't need to do that, right? So I think it's about understanding Okay, my goal here is for you to be as successful as possible, right? To put you in the best possible position to succeed individually within the concept and the framework of having the team be the best version of itself, right? And I think once, and and that's the thing, Dexter, so many teams are just bad at this from player development to roster construction to communication to all of it. A team is an ecosystem like any other corporation, right? When you got bad leadership, bad communication, no trust, 
It's dysfunctional. That's just how it works. Yeah, I, I like that you make that point because it is more about the numbers. In some, in some way, you could look at it and say, how are so many teams so bad at this? And you're right because we've talked about this before. You can count the teams probably on one hand that you think are really good at the player development, that are really good at the future stuff. But the thing is, you look at it now and you're like, but you have more data than ever before, so you would think there would be more teams better at this. But that's not exactly the exactly the case. And, and, and really think, quick, Dex. Yeah, just, go ahead. Not, yeah, sure. Not, not to cut you off. The okay, you realize as, as an organization, I have to bring analytical people in here. Agreed, one thousand percent. Right. Who are these people? What is their experience? What is their communication style? How do mm. they fit within the overall mission and vision of your organization? Or are you just saying, man, we got to get some analytics guys in here and check these boxes? Like, well, I mean, what? Okay, cool. But how does this help? Again, this at the end of the day, it's still a people business, right? right you right. have dudes on the court that have to figure out a way to work together to achieve an end goal. How does that fit in with this? How do you marry them? And I think too many teams think about it siloed. It's like, oh, you don't, you don't have the 30,000-foot view because you need the macro and the micro. Too many teams are like, all right, yeah, we got to get analytics guy. Let's just get that, put it in here, see what happens. It's like, you know, that's probably not going to work. No, you're right. Now the point I was going to make too, right, is the people stuff matters here. You can't how things work. And this is across any business. This isn't just the NBA. This isn't just, you know, whatever corporate business you're looking at. The people stuff matters, how it's connected, how it all works. So I guess the thing is, look, you're going to have your detractors, Gerard. You're going to have people that say uh, analytics are bad for the game. You talked about the Julius Randle example, and people want to use that as some sort of watershed moment uh, mm-hmm. around this, where I don't think that's the case. Right. You know, Do you think analytics is helping or hurting the NBA product, or is it more of what you just mentioned before, that it's like, let's look at how we can make this work with people. Is that the missing thing here when we talk about analytics? Absolutely. Numbers numbers can't hurt or or like they're just they're just numbers. <laughs> they can't do right. anything to you, right. right? It's just data. It can't do anything to you. It's about the context in which it is provided, right? How am I explaining this data? How am I using it to overall make this product better, right? Ultimately that's that's what 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 the point is here. We have so much information at our tips now, and basketball fans are smarter than ever, and it's great. In my writing and the work I use, I love using analytics because it really helps distill and breaks things down. But, Dex, as you know, there's always that human element and component that I always bring into it, right? Where it's like, okay, it's it's like, you know, Jalen Rose said this in a New Yorker piece. Analytics are a tool in your overall toolbox to talk about this game, right? Right. It'd be like you're trying to build a house, and the only tool you use was a hammer. It's like, uh, I mean, not that house probably ain't going to be great because while a hammer is very useful, you need a lot of other tools to finish that house, right? Like, mm-hmm. so it's just about how and how do I use the data in front of me and the information? How do I provide it in a way that is not only digestible, but it makes sense and it tells the proper story that you're trying to tell, right? You know, the one thing I use for analytics and, I, you know, and Henry Abbott was someone who impressed this on me pretty early. It's like when I'm trying to figure this out, I have no preconceived notions about what the answer is, right? Right. I'm just like, hey, I have a question. I think so-and-so is good at basketball. That's what my eyes tell me. I don't know. But it doesn't seem as though, you know, player X is getting credit that he is. I wonder why that is. Let me go look and find out why, right? Well, well, the numbers tell me this story, right? Like, so how do you, and then it's, how do I reconcile that, right? So it's, but again, human beings, that's, that's what I mean. What I, what I just gave you? I gave you three steps. 
Most people don't want that shit. They just want to know who's good, who's bad. <laughs> nah, this dude sucks. Like, you know, that's like, all right. I mean, cool. It's fun for barbershop. And, you know, those, those first take shows that, you know, we don't, we don't do that here. But, you know, if you want to do that, go ahead. That's, that's your thing. Right. And it's the thing. It's like you don't, don't, you don't have to knock the analytics if you're not going to use try to look at it and use it to support what your eyes see. That's, that's the point that I always rock with you on. And that's where I think how I think it should be used. I mean, that's how I use it. Hey, I see this team playing harder on defense. Okay, I like this. But how is this, how is this working? I, you and I talked early in the season. This is random for people to know. I was starting to see some things. We know Gerard is a huge uh, Darren Jackson, <laughs> Triple J fan, Darren Jackson Jr. But I was starting to see some things with him that I liked in, uh, I think this was late November, early December. And I started looking at some of the analytics in terms of him, particularly on the defensive end of the ball. A lot of times people just looked at rebounding rate, but I was looking at what his help defense was, what was his assisted block rate, these kinds of things, and then the impact that that was having on the Grizzlies' defense. And we saw their adjusted defensive rating shoot up. As Jaron Jackson played better, they also played better. My point in saying that is look at how I looked at something from an individual standpoint with a player, how it correlated with the team, and then brought it back to what I was seeing from mm-hmm. watching the Grizzlies on League Pass. And we all know that made Gerard very happy. <laughs> now you can be like Jaron Jackson Jr. is that dude. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I've been trying to tell y'all forever. Shouts to my guy, Trip. Uh, here's the other thing. It can work in the reverse, Dexter, right? Like you'll be watching true. a team and you're like, man, they seem to be working so hard on defense. But why they give it up? So-? And then you look at the numbers and you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's fake hustle, right? Maybe what you're watching is fake hustle. They're not actually trying hard or whatever on defense, right? They're not because what happens is they're out of position and not doing what they're supposed to be doing prior to, right? If their field goal percentage rate is high or whatever the case may be. So it's you have to, again, it's not just one or the other. It's how does this all fit within this stew that I'm making? Yeah, that that, that is how it works. Now, we talked about – you talked about this. You talked about some teams that are breaking – you know, sort of the mold and how it's being played. You mentioned the Heat. They're a team that does not play to the analytics, shall you say. Not a heavy three-point shooting team. They're not a poor three-point shooting team, but they play a little bit more physical. They play a little bit more in the mid-range. They still value that. I think the Suns are another good example of this, right? The Suns have two of the best mid-range shooters in the game, and they thrive off of that, especially in the clutch. Uh, what are some teams you like that are giving you a little bit of diversity in the NBA right now. The one thing I'll add before I answer that question, Dexter, is about the yeah. mid-range. The other thing is, like, with mm-hmm. people who are, quote-unquote, anti-analytics, they say, well, analytics don't like the mid-range. Well, that isn't true. Analytics doesn't like the mid-range for the majority of people because a lot of people are bad at the mid-range. If you're a Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeMar DeRozan, Chris Middleton, Kevin Durant, yeah, y'all can shoot all the mid-rangers you want because you're excellent at that, right? Like, it, it's, it's not about, no, we don't like the mid-range. It's you who shoot 42% or whatever from the mid-range, it's like, but you're 38% from three. It's like, well, in terms of expected value, why not just take the one step back and take the three instead, right? Because the chances of you making that shot are about the same as the long two, and we'll get an extra point for it, right? Like, that's the idea. So anyway, um, in terms of teams that are doing things a little bit differently, I love what I'm seeing from the Cleveland Cavaliers right now. Of course, everybody knows Evan Mobley. You know, I, I talked about him. It's very rare that a rookie makes this kind of impact on a team because, yo, NBA is hard, man. Like, this is not an easy league to play in. Like, and he is a net positive in terms of estimated plus minus. And it, it's incredible. Like, defensively, we know what he is. Um, he's, <laughs> he's, he, he's a second coming, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> he's really good. So you got him as a seven-footer. You got Jared Allen as a seven-footer. You got Laurie Markin as a seven-footer. 
I I love the idea of bigs. And again, a sh- shout out to our to our boy Brian, who I'm going to bring up here. You know, Brian Brian always gets on me because like he's like, "Wow, you hate short people." I'm like, "I don't hate short people." I was like, in, in, in the NBA, it's just that for me, the rim is still ten feet above the ground. So right. size matters. And when your best players are small and small is in right because they're bigger, they're taller than the average human, but small in the NBA, small in the NBA to me is six four and under. When you have to consistently rely on six four and under dudes, that just makes it much harder for you, particularly when you're going up against teams with rangy Pascal Siakam type Velociraptor wings all over the place. That's a lot of arms <laughs> and 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 uh and, and length for you to deal with, right? And for me, what I, the future of basketball ultimately is now, Dexter, tall people who are supremely skilled, right? Like, we're going to come to a point one day where you're going to see, te- I mean, maybe not all as good as him because, you know, he's one of the all-time greats, but you're going to see teams full of Kevin Durant's, right? Where it's just nothing but, and I don't mean as good as him, as like, again, just dudes who are 6'10", or taller, or 6'9", or taller, who can pass, shoot, do, do all the things that traditionally, back in the day, only small people could do, right? Big people, get your ass in the post, you rebound, you do, no, 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 no. You can shoot the three, you can dribble, you can you can be a true triple threat. A team with that kind of length, that is that skilled, that's a nightmare. You, 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 just, uh, you just made Brian Fonseca very upset here because what he's saying is he can't root for the short man anymore. And now uh, if, you, if you are a, a 6'2 guy like myself uh, playing ball, you might be out of work. And, you know, that's, that's who Brian identifies with. So he, uh, he's not going to be happy if you are unemploying the, uh, the short man in basketball. <laughs> listen, I am, listen, there's always, there's always going to be, like, you know, quote-unquote short men in basketball, right? It's, it's more, you get what I'm saying, it's more about teams that have the wings, the wing depth and that kind of size. They have such, a, such an advantage, right? You look at the last 15 NBA champions, right? Mm-hmm. They're every on every team, with the exception of the fifteen Warriors. Their best player was a wing player over six foot seven. Right? That's just how can I tell you <laughs> that matters, right? Like, um, and so you know, when you have a league with giant men, right? Like your Joel Embiid, your Nikola Jokic is your. I mean, Giannis, like, oh. What can I tell you? Like, it doesn't help to when you're going up against those guys if you're 6'2", okay? You have some inherent <laughs> disadvantages. Right. As a, no, and as the league gets more skilled and taller players become more skilled, which is literally the evolution that we're yes. seeing if you're watching basketball, Yes, it, it is not inconceivable, I think, to think in 7 to 10 years that you're going to see a team with a 7'2 center and a 6'10 Yes, a 6'10 starting point guard. That, that's not crazy. I mean, that's, not that's, crazy. that's Ben Simmons and Simmons. Joel Embiid. Right, I mean, <laughs> right, right. And, and, and with other guys around that are in the 6'8", right. 6'9". Six, six, right. I'm saying even fully filled out right. around those right. two centerpieces. That is Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. And I'm talking about a 6'10 point guard, guys, that'll actually shoot. You want to see that, too. That is going to happen. You will definitely you, see you, that, you look at a, You look at a guy like Scotty Barnes in uh, – in Toronto, yep. and then you look at Pascal Siakam. I mean, Jesus Christmas, right? Like between Siakam and Barnes alone, that's just nothing but wingspan, right? Like and skill, right? They can mm-hmm. shoot, they can pass, they can dribble. 
Well, 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 I'm glad you brought up Toronto because when I think about them as one of these teams that are sort of breaking the mold, they're sort of ahead of the curve because if you look at what Nick Nurse has been doing, he's constantly playing, I put it this term, playing with length on the court. He's really been playing with length. Guys that are even 6'9", 6'10", that range you can handle with multi-skilled. He's really been doing that, and he still has a small guard, which you know Brian Fonseca likes and Fred Van Vliet, right? <laughs> but he still plays with length in other positions. Think about this. You have teams that can put lineups out on the floor that six foot six or six foot seven is their smallest person. So it's when they quote unquote go small, but their tall people have switchability. They can switch out onto smaller. I mean, what an advantage you have, right? Think right. about those elite warrior teams, right? Yes, I know Curry six four, but let's assume they had to put someone else in Curry spot as me six foot five. You got Draymond, you got Clay, you got KD, you got Iguodala, you got Sean Livingston, right? Let's say that's those your five. Whatever reason they had to, oh man, everybody is just arms and length and wingspan out there. We switch in one through five. What you gonna do? Yeah, it's a problem. And as right? the league right. as a, as a league becomes more skilled, you gotta have players that can switch one through five, and that's something you don't need the numbers to tell you that. Right. You can just see in terms of the skill to tell you how that's going to go. So good discussion on analytics. Let's talk a little bit about – I wanted to talk about trades because we're going to talk mm-hmm. a lot about that tomorrow. But I wanted to talk about three trades that have already happened, in particular how they relate to teams that are rebuilding. Gerard and I have talked on previous episodes about how hard it is to build a team, how hard it is to do good, consistent roster construction. I think sometimes that's lost on fans. I really do. I was talking to some fans the other day. It was like, well, why can't this happen with this team or what? And it's like, yo, it's not all that easy. But <laughs> Dex, it, it's like it's yes. what I refer to as but that's my dad's way of thinking about things. I'll, I'll talk to him. Oh, and the next thing, why don't they just tra-? I'm like, Dad, what do you think? You can't just trade people like oh yeah. tomorrow. Yeah, get rid of this guy, get rid of and get this guy. I'm like, what do you think? How? It doesn't work like that. How? That's not how this game there, works. There is a there is a salary <laughs> cap. There, there are these other things that are going on. You know, I, I don't I don't think people I think, and this is something I think we should think about tomorrow as the trade deadline approaches, is it's hard to make deals. It is hard to change your team and still be well good in season. That yeah. is another thing. People always just make this deal. Guys, this isn't 2K. As Gerard <laughs> said earlier in this show, there's a people part to this stuff. This That stuff matters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in 2K, when you trade somebody, you make in-season trade, well, account for their feelings. I know yeah. they have some stuff people will be like, that's they have the morale stuff in there. <laughs> yes, but it's it's an algorithm <laughs> right, in the video exactly. game, which I love, and I think it makes it semi-realistic. Right. But in reality, this is not what it is. Okay. But, I mean, look, yes. look, look, look really quickly. Look at what's going on in Brooklyn right now. James Harden is pissed at Kyrie Irving. Pissed yeah. all the way off. And has a right to be. Homeboys decided, yeah, I ain't getting this vaccine, so I'm only playing part-time. He's like, well, what? I ain't signed up for this. So his whole countenance and a feeling about everything is drawn in and sunk in and sullen and way down. You don't think that has any impact on this team right now? Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, they're losing nine, they've lost nine straight. Right? Nine like, straight. Yes. I know Kevin Durant's also not playing. On a, I get all that. But, I mean... Homie took four shots on the road in Sacramento a couple weeks ago. Four. Yep. J- James Harden. I'm just, listen, like, that, this stuff know. matters, man. <laughs> yeah, it does. And we're going to get into that a lot more tomorrow. James Harden, who's also not played in seven of the last nine games for the Nets during this losing streak. 
Just saying. The stuff, the stuff matters. I'm not saying something's happening. I'm yes. Just, you know. <laughs> I'm just saying. Just, 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 just look and see. Just look and see. You can say. Okay. Um, there's some teams I think you would look around the league and say, all right, they either we don't know what they're doing. They might need to rebuild. They should be trying to rebuild. I think one of those teams we thought about for a long time is Indiana Pacers. Mm. Um, and they had been rumored months ago they were going to start selling guys off. They did. They got one of they got one of these. Well, two. We're going to get to two. They traded Carousel Vert to the Cavaliers. Cavaliers added uh, some more scoring that they needed at the guard position. They needed desperately, and the Pacers, you know, are able to get some picks in return for Levert. What do you think about what the Pacers are doing in terms of their rebuilding job? They also traded Demonis Sabotis, which we'll get into as well too. What do you think about what they're doing in their stage of rebuilding right now? I would like to point out that. Oh, everyone was so sure that Nate McMillan was the problem in Indiana. Well, mm. you got rid of Nate mm. and you hired Nate Bjorkman. That didn't go so well. He had a mutiny in the locker room. The great Rick Carlisle, who, by the way, I'm not saying Rick Carlisle is not a great coach. He's one right. of the best coaches in the, the NBA. Great Rick Carlisle. Hmm, same roster. Having issues. Now has to make trades. Just going to say maybe the roster was the problem. Okay. That aside, it is clear that they are in rebuild mode, right? They said that they had to move, split up the Sabonis Turner uh, big man gr- uh, duo. Well, that's they probably wanted to do both, to be honest. But the Turner with Turner being injured, it makes it you know damn near impossible to trade him right now. Um, so that probably won't happen until the summertime on draft day or something like that. So they got picks back for Sabonis. They moved um they moved Holiday um and Jeremy Lamb out of here. Brought in Tyrese Halliburton, right? Um, which you know nice for them. And again, draft picks as you mentioned. Uh, you know, I think it's rebuild time, right? They're really going to see, and the, the draft over the next couple of years is going to have some depth to it. Um, I just think that th- their plan is let's rebuild through the draft because look, Indiana ain't a free agency, ain't a free agent destination, so they're not going to swing and get any of these big time dudes. Or the only thing they could potentially do is if they could keep accumulating draft capital, like Oklahoma City, they can then move those pieces for an already established player, right? Superstar type of player that's under a max deal that a team may want to get off of because he's already locked on a contract. That's the other way that markets that aren't attractive can get superstars, right? We saw Oklahoma City do this uh, in the past. While they won't come here as free agents, all this capital we amass, we can move that to a team and get someone already under contract locked up for three years or what have you. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's what I'm sure they did like to do. I think it's going to be interesting to see what else they do going forward. If they move Miles Turner, they can't trade Brogdon. If they're going to in the future, they got Halliburton, which is a nice young piece. They have Duarte right. on this team. So there's some yeah. decent young pieces. What they will do going forward will be interesting. You also mentioned the Kings. They're the people who got DeMontis Sabonis. They traded DeMontis Sabonis. But I don't know about you, man. This trade, I'm still like, what are the Kings doing? What is the plan here? Like, are they rebuilding or what are they going for? DeMontis Sabonis, getting him now where he is at the age of 25, Seems like a move you're trying to do when you're trying to win now. Except what are the Kings winning? They're 20, <laughs> they're 20 and 35. They're in the 10th spot in the Western Conference right now. What are we playing for? To to maybe win a playing game? Like, um, first of all, Domas is my guy. Always love this game. Yes. I feel so bad he's gonna be stuck out in Sacramento. Like <laughs> <Me too. laughs> yo, like look, we talked about this. There are some franchises that are just not good at this. They're just they're just not. And Sacramento's one of these teams, right? They've had, what, three head coaches in the past five years? It's a revolving door there. I I, I just don't know what it is they're doing from a team develop. Again, 
say this all the time. It's like a broken record. But as an organization, again, what is your mission? What is your vision? Okay, we want to be a championship contender. Okay, cool. What are the habits and the behaviors we're going to undertake as a group to make that happen? You got nothing on me, right? You're not going to have that if your coaches keep moving, GMs keep moving. Like every player you you miss in the draft repeatedly over and over and over and over. I said this uh, yesterday to Jen on the seven footers. I was like, you know, or off air. I was like, the Kings are so bad as an organization, Dexter. I think if they drafted LeBron or KD, they would have messed that up somehow. Okay, like, <laughs> like that, like that's how bad they are. They would have found yeah. a way to mess up two all-time great players. It'd have been like, they, they would have screwed it up. Like those two wouldn't have been as good for some reason. As good as they are, and we always believe that no matter where they would have gotten drafted, they'd be good. I think the right. Kings are the antidote to that. It's like, nah, they would have messed it up somehow. Well, you hit, just, the, you hit the nail on the head there too. No stability in the front office. There seems to be no direction and plan. There, there are other organizations who I've seen rebuild and doing things, and I'm like, at least I feel like I know what their plan is. Like Indiana, we just mentioned. Mm-hmm. I think we can see what their plan is. No idea what the Kings are doing here. I mean, look, Vivek wants to get some playing money. So right now they are two, three games behind the Pelicans for the last spot in the plan. So they go on a little run with De'Aaron Fox, and which, by the way, are we sure De'Aaron Fox is going to be good? Listen, anyway. I, I I was talking with somebody who wants him badly to be traded to the Knicks. Uh, to which I was like, I don't think that's a good move. I'm not high on De'Aaron Fox. I never have been. Um, he is shooting the lowest three point percentage of his career. I know he's been hurt right now. He's an average playmaker at best. No, would De'Aaron Fox? I, I would have kept Halliburton. Halliburton was balling. Would De'Aaron Fox have been be a better player if he was drafted by San Antonio? You know what? That's a great point. <laughs> I, I, I'm willing to bet yes. Okay. That's what I'll say. Okay. I'm and and, and yes. the challenge for you as a Knicks fan is the Knicks have not shown their greater player development. So they have. What, what are they going to do with De'Aaron Fox? They, yes, I will say this: that I say in recent, great is a good word. I'd say in recent they've shown that they've been competent at it. Right? They've they've drafted some decent players, drafted some seen, good guys. Yeah, Barrett seems to be coming along quickly kind of regressed this year. Grimes seems to be developing pretty decently, but they haven't been great. It's better than Sacramento though. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, but the bar is really low. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, your, your bar is way low. But no, it, 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 Sacramento. So yeah, Vivek wants to get into the play and he wants to get some of that money. Look, these owners, I thought I've talked about this with you before over the last two seasons, they've lost money, man. Sponsorship right. money, uh, ticket revenue, gate revenue, all that because of COVID, et cetera. So these people are trying to get into the play-in however the hell they can so they can recoup and get some of that money. And the thing about the play-in is, depending on where you are, 10 or 9 or 8, all you got to do is win one game, maybe two, right? Anybody can get hot and win a, win, just win two games, right? That So you have those two games. Then you get into the playoffs. You're guaranteed two minimum two home games. Guess what? That's revenue. That's, you know... Uh, these guys are trying to recoup it any way they can. I understand that, but you know they got they know they're the kings. I mean, they look, know, I, I, they, they know they're the kings. That's <laughs> all I'm saying. You, 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 you know, I ain't crying. No poverty blues for no billionaires. Like I, what I, I hear, you. I hear y'all straight. Yeah, we, we we watch enough billions in succession to know that here. Exactly. Um, you you brought up uh, the Pelicans. They acquired CJ McCollum. The Blazers trade CJ McCollum. Another team that is rebuilding and seems to have finally embraced the rebuild but the question i would ask you gerard is are they really 
Because if should they fully blow this up, should they trade Dame and really go all in on a rebuild? Because Adrian Wojnarowski came out with a report saying <laughs> they are trying to still build around Dame and acquire. This is quote. I hope I'm not misquoting here. High end talent. And my question was like, where's that coming from? Shout out to Woj for being the PR for the Blazers, by the way, um, yes. because that's exactly where that's coming from. Um, look, <laughs> first of all, are we sure that what the future state of the Portland Trailblazers is? And what I mean by that is, does Jody Allen want to keep this team or is he trying to sell it? That's my we first question. We don't know. We don't that, know. That, that, that's my first question. Secondly, Joe Cronin took over for Neil O'Shea. We know about all the issues that was going on there in terms of the workplace. So they're still reeling from that. Portland is no hotbed free agency destination, and that is even with Damian Lillard being there. And this is no shade or no slight to Dame, but if you are a high price uh, a free agent, you know, and you're one of the elite players in the league, do you want to tie yourself to a player coming off major injury um, who's already started to show decline again? And you know, shout out to boy Brian, who's on the small side. Is 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 that what you want to pin your hopes to? Right. I, I I don't I, I would say no. I think I think it, there's rebuilds and then there's rebuilds, Gerard. Right. And I think sometimes you have to know when you need to go all in on this. And I think bro, the Blazers in one of those situations just go all in, just tear and, it. And, all and I love down. Anthony Simons. I think the, the the injuries to McCollum and Lillard were great in his development, right? Right. But if they're if they're putting this face out here that we're gonna rebuild around Dame and with Simon oh, so Dame and Simons is CJ and Dame two point oh, is it not? Right. I mean, you have another small, small backcourt partner, right? Who hasn't shown a propensity to play elite level defense. Okay. And then, you know, Dame came out today, I think, or yesterday and said, my heart is still with Portland. It's like, dude, can you just like not say that anymore? Like, I get it. You don't want to be the bad guy. You love Portland. Like Portland, honestly, we're at a stage now where Dame has to know you're not winning any championships there. Not, this is not happening. Both you guys, let's just, let's just break up. We'll try to get you to the best possible place you you can go, which which will give us in return as much value as we can get back. So we get what we want, you get what you want. Everybody moves on, and we keep this thing rolling. Yeah, I, I think I think that would be best. I happen to agree with you. Real couple things, real quick. Uh, your your team, the Lakers. Uh, <laughs> My team. <laughs> Or, or, or it should be our man, Jamal Murphy, his team. But sources are saying the Lakers are feeling urgency, Gerard. Urgency to make changes as the deadline nears. And there's really only one question around this to me. Well, to not from me, to GM LeBron. How? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. How, how is this happening? And it's like, of course you're urgent to make changes. Uh, How's this happening? The response I have is, for who and for what? Right? Like, that. that, that those are the questions. For who and for what? Look. Shaq said this last night on TNT uh, when they were going to break. He heard from a source deep within the organization that the Lakers are happy with where they are, and they'd much rather play Phoenix than Golden State in round one of the playoffs. Yo, man, let me just hit, hit y'all with some game really quick. 538 Sports website. Give the Lakers right now a 34% chance of making the playoffs, okay? Just mm-hmm. making the playoffs. They are projected to finish with a sub-500 record. Look, I don't know. It, listen, I'm not out here saying Shaq didn't hear anything. I'm going to take him at his word, and there's a source of sudden that. I'm like, listen, y'all shouldn't be worried about playing Phoenix or worry about are you going to even get out of the play-in, okay? That, that's what you need to be concerned with. Are you going to make it out of the play-in? Now, look, I get it. You're going to tell me you're but they got LeBron and AD. Okay, that's true. LeBron and AD, if healthy, mm-hmm. they can be like they can be the best two players on the floor in any series they're in. 
Sure. However, however, health is nothing we can't we can't guarantee that, right? I, the biggest predictor of future injury is previous injury. LeBron has been nicked up every year since he's gotten to LA. No man, he's 37 years old. This is what happens when you get to this stage. Anthony Davis, not not over 30 yet, but this is now his fifth consecutive season where he has missed part of it due to injury. Uh, look, man, I just, I don't know what to tell you. Like, so you're asking me to, 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 to make a bet on those two guys being in tip-top shape at the end of the regular season. And I'm not, I, I, I'm not, I can't do that. You're I'm also, sorry. You're I, also, I can't do it. You're also asking to bet on uh, Russell Westbrook contributing, who's been a mess and disaster out in L.A. And that's a whole other thing. But we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. More. But look, the, ur- the urgency is there. The urgency is there in Hollywood. They're looking to make changes. I don't see how it's coming. For who and for who? Who is a value that anybody wants on that roster? Laker fans are going to tell you your man Tht. That's what they're going to say. <laughs> Whose man? Uh, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> That's what Lakers are going to say. All right, real quick, because tomorrow, tomorrow, as I want to let everybody know again, we are going to be doing a trade deadline show uh, here. Uh, we'll be live at noon, talking about the trade deadline. Hopefully, there'll be some more trades and what's coming up. But Gerard. What are some NBA trade deadline deals you want to see? I'm going to keep mine short. You know what I want to see? What do you want to see? I want to see get messy down with <laughs> Philly and Brooklyn. Let's get the deal done. We've had all this drama. We kind of can see, not saying that we know, James Harden doesn't want to be here. Let's get that messy deal done. You know, what, what would really be not, yeah, just, just get it. I want to, there's going to be so much drama if that happens. Just get it done. Just get it done. <laughs> it's funny. I said this on, on Seven Footers yesterday, uh, episode out today, by the way. I said the Jetta. Shout out to Aaliyah. We need a resolution. That's all. I, that's what I want to see. Hey. For, we, we need a resolution. That's what I want to see for every team. Whatever their internal issues are, I just want resolution, right? In whatever form or fashion that be. For some teams, that's just getting healthy, right? Honestly, for Brooklyn, yo, you know what y'all need? Y'all just need, you know, Kung Fu Kyrie to get the vaccine. And y'all need health. Because, again, that team healthy and playing in the 19 games they played, 16 and 3. They're all, their their net rating is ridiculous. We, when they we saw them in the first round the first round against the the Boston Celtics, yes, Celtics, whatever. Right? Yeah. I mean, when those three are playing at peak level, yo man, with that with the rest of that roster, y'all ain't got nothing, right? You get shit without the peak three, right? With 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 Kevin all down there by himself and a hobble James Harden took the 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 the, the champs to seven. So I mean. So you know what it's like if all three are, but you know that may never happen in the history of their 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 grouping. They may never play a full playoff run, all three healthy together. Which is the sad. Yeah, we need a resolution because people <laughs> on these teams like Aaliyah rocking the boat. That's what we're doing. There. So if you like some, if you like some Aaliyah like me, you get the you get the song you get the song references. We are going to take a very 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 short break. When we come back, we're going to give you our NBA picks for Wednesday night. Hopefully, I didn't steal Gerard's teams again today. We'll we'll see about that when we're back on the NBA stage. <laughs> Are you looking for a better way to play player props or daily fantasy sports? Well, look no further than Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the leading over under daily fantasy game. Why? Because it's so easy to use and win. 
You can make your picks in under 30 seconds and win up to 10 times your money in one day. Right now, we have a special offer for our viewers and listeners of the NBA Exchange. All you got to do is sign up now and use the promo code NBAEX. Prize picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Yep, that's right. They'll match your first deposit up to $100. So, join the over 150,000 others who found a better way to play. Download the Prize Picks app today. NBA Picks time. Dexter Henry and Gerard Hector here with you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, be sure to check out Prize Picks. You know, we got some promo codes going on. You saw the one NBA EX. There's also one for the Seven Footers Pod. Mm-hmm. Uh, seven Footer. You should check mm-hmm. that out. You know, multiple ways for you guys to get, get that money. Free money. Get that money. <laughs> and you know, now we're going to try to hopefully help you win some money. Uh, Gerard, uh, light schedule tonight in the NBA. Let's just keep it real. These games ain't great tonight. They're not. <laughs> They're not. They're not. They're, they're not great at all uh, with these oh, games man. tonight. Uh, the games are so bad. I'm going to take one. I might actually take the Lakers uh, for all. <laughs> I, for all I know. That's, that's, that's how, how you bad. know it's bad. That's how you know it ain't bad. That. That, <laughs> that also should tell you the Lakers are probably playing somebody that I believe is worse than them. So there you go, Gerard. What's your first game you got tonight? I'm looking at the Chicago Bulls at the Charlotte Hornets. The Bulls are one and a half point favorites. Over under set at two thirty six and a half. Look. The Hornets lost loses a five straight. Um, you know, they kind of got to get themselves on the, on the right track. I'm going with the money line here. Hornets plus 105. I like them to come out on top. Um, and I like LaMelo Ball, double-double plus 135. And double-double for me will come in points and assists. I see a 2010 game for him tonight. And Hornets getting off that slot. That's not... I like I like that I like that pick money line at home for the Hornets trying to end the five game losing streak. Uh, not bad. Now, let we talked about the Lakers. I'll give you guys my first game. It is the Lakers. They are in Portland against the Trailblazers. Blazers obviously a lot of change recently. Made multiple trades in the past five days, so a lot with roster change going on there. The Lakers. They said there's urgency for them to get changes, but you know what? There's also urgency for guys. Urgency for them to get a win. Sure, they looked good against the New York Knicks, who have looked terrible on Saturday night, right? But then, here's the thing. LeBron James talked about getting ready for the Milwaukee Bucks. And what did we see against the Lakers and the Bucks, Gerard? We saw <laughs> yo. Giannis giving it. Yeah, go, go ahead. You can say Gerard. Oh, oh, yo, listen. He, he, he gave AD that work. Ooh. Listen, I, I say it all the time, man. Like, listen, at some point, eight. Giannis is who we thought AD was going to be, right? And listen, man, if the Laker, if Laker fans want to, we're going to go to the chip. Listen, AD got to play like that dude all the time. And outside of that bubble run, we ain't seen it. We, we ain't really seen, it. seen it. We haven't. So with that, with, with that being said, I think the Lakers are a little bit annoyed, obviously, off of last night. LeBron James coming out and saying that we are not on the level of the Bucks. Yeah, we knew that. He definitely knew that uh, for sure. But the Lakers here are eight and a half point favorites. So here's my thing. I like the Lakers here. I think if you're really confident in winning, which I am, but you can't really be confident in anything with Lakers these days, touch the money line here. But if you want to play the points, see, eight and a half, a little too much for me. This is where I like to go for an alternative spread or look. Go down to, you know, minus six and a half. You can look at different sports books and you'll find something around, you know, minus 140 for the odds on there. Just go down two points. 
uh, you know, play it safe, maybe throw some money in there. Give me the Lakers. I'd look to go down to minus six and a half on this with an alternative spread, and I'll take the Lakers because, you know, I don't I don't trust them, and the Lakers be Lakering right now, and <laughs> that's not good, and I used to say that about the Clippers. So Yo, I don't know Dex, what's happening. According to 538, the Clippers and the Minnesota Timberwolves are projected to finish with a better record than your Los Angeles Lakers. My Los Angeles Lakers. Okay, yeah, okay. That's not good. That's not good. The Lakers were what at thirty four percent to make the playoffs. You said according mm-hmm. to five thirty to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. and the Timberwolves and the Clippers, who shout out to Ty Lue's on an amazing coaching mm-hmm. job this year. They are projected to finish higher. Amazing, amazing. Speaking of those Timber puppies, there we I go. Mean, oh, I'm going. Yo, whew, look at look at me and listen. This is a late game, and I, you know, this is this is where the degenerates be hanging out. Timberwolves at Sacramento <laughs> Kings. The Wolves are minus nine and a half point favorites. By the way, your Minnesota Timberwolves twenty nine and twenty five in the seventh spot in the uh, Western Conference. Dexter, a game behind the Denver Nuggets at six. Yo, man. I'm not saying. Oh, uh, here we go. I'm just here we saying. Go. Are, you, are, are you becoming a, a timber puppies believer? And you, and you tried to put the team on me saying my timber puppies. Like, let's not, let's not go there. Let's not go there. Are you becoming a believer? Listen, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a believer, but I'm going to say that, oh, Timber, Timberwolves making the playoffs. Listen, they got the talent too, right? Cat, Aunt Edwards, D'Angelo Russell, Nas Reed. They got some guys, Malik Beasley. They got some dudes. They can do some things. Uh, so, so, I mean, you got some belief there. Do you believe they'll win by 10 or more points tonight? I, I actually do. because So this is the second game in a row they played Sacramento. They blew them out last uh, last night uh, back-to-back. I see them winning by 10 again tonight. And I'm taking the over at 234.5. Bang that over. Mm. And, yo, Wolves in a blowout over those hapless Kangs tonight. Okay. Okay, I'm a little nervous with that. Then again, 10 or more. <laughs> but the Kings, you know, we talked about the Kings. The Kings, there. Ooh, Kings they, are they. the 29th team in the NBA in just defensive rating. Just a defensive rating. They yep. are atrocious. They are they they are they are pretty bad and anybody can put a points on them. I, I think that's a good bet and I like that. Well so over 234 and a half? I yes, like that. over 234 and a half. Bang bang that over. All right. Last game for us. Got the Golden State Warriors at the Utah Jazz. Now I think most times you should be excited for this matchup. You know, people would be excited. Okay, Golden State, Jazz need to show something. They won a close game. I think it was 92 to 90 last month. Uh the, the Warriors won the Jazz, the Jazz, we know their issues on perimeter defense. And then, guess who's not playing? Gerard's boy, the stifled talent, Rudy Gobert, not playing. We saw when the Knicks lost this game because of the Knicks, but you saw Mitchell Robinson carve him up, getting 20 plus rebounds, scoring in the paint. Knicks were able to do whatever they want. And a better team like the Warriors, you may need to think that they won't do that. Yeah, I like the Warriors here. The Warriors are road underdogs here at plus two and a half. Sorry, can't do it. Don't believe in the Jazz. The Warriors know how to score. Clay is starting to play more minutes. He played 30 plus the other night. He's looking good. Steph's looking good. I know there's no Draymond, but give me the Warriors plus the points. I think this is a fantastic bet. I do not see how the Jazz, with their poor defensive issues, without their best defensive player, who Gerard has been saying, y'all don't put the respect on his name for what he can do and his value on the court. Well, you'll see it tonight. Put your money on the Warriors plus two and a half on the road. I think this is a fantastic bet. Uh, that's a good bet. Also, Warriors, Draymond hasn't played in, I don't know, what, almost three weeks now, maybe a month? About, about that, yep. Nine and one in the last ten. So they're still rolling. Now, 
No, no, yep. don't, don't don't lose your mind because if the Warriors want to win the title, they are not going to win without Draymond Green, right? They Facts. need Draymond uh, when it when it comes to postseason, but they are they're rolling right now. Look, Golden State and the Phoenix Suns to me, they're here, and there's a gap, and then it's you know a bunch of other teams, and then, you know another fall down in a gap. But they they are the class of the NBA right now. I thought you were going to say something uh, more inspiring, like the the Golden State Warriors and the Suns are here, and the Knicks are right here. I, th- I thought that's where you're going. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say anybody. I was going to say Grizzlies. I mean, if, I, if I was going to say we anybody, go. here we go. I would, I, I, I would put the Grizzlies. Shout, shout out to the Memphis Grizzlies, by the way, number three in the NBA. <laughs> some, some, man, some, somebody get this guy in a flight to Memphis. Get this guy in a flight to Memphis. Yep, Bill Street, baby, making it happen. There you go. Get, get him on Bill Street. Get him a get, get him a couple of bottles of wine and sit down with his boy Triple J and John. Hey, man, uh, we gonna do it. Make it happen. Love it. <laughs> Let's make it happen. All right, that's that's all for this edition of the NBA Exchange. We encourage you to continue to support us in all the ways you do. As I said, tomorrow live show, special show. Uh, Gerard will be rock with me. Jamal Murphy will be with us. Also, our boy Brian Fonseca, who will be crying over the fact that C.J. McCollum got traded and nobody loves the small guards out here. I'm sure he'll have a lot to say. And you know, you know, Gerard, is we're going to talk about whether we think the Grizzlies should make a deal tomorrow, if they have, whether Brian's mind Heat should make a deal, what should the Knicks do, will the Nets, all this stuff. There'll be a lot going on at noon, I'm sure. We'll be three hours before the deadline. I'm excited to talk about it. It's going to be a lot of drama, Gerard. It's going to be yes, a lot. Sir. Yes, and sir. And you know what? You know what? Maybe tomorrow, just maybe tomorrow, we still might not even do hot takes. That's how we roll here. Yeah, we're listen. still going to bring you the nuance on a Thursday. That's we, how we We, we, we gave you an hour-long show, and there wasn't one single hot take in here. You see that, people? It can be done. You can yeah, do that. It's possible, man. It's possible. <laughs> Y'all just got to believe that you got can accept and want the nuance, too. You can do it, man. You can accept the nuance. That's my man, Gerard Hector. As usual, check him out, Seven Footers Podcast. Check him out on True Hoop. You know, Friday, do the Bring It In. Mm-hmm. Everybody's on there. Check that out as well, too. And you can see him tomorrow. We'll be right back at noon to talk some trade deadline and a whole bunch of other stuff for Gerard Hector. I'm Dexter Henry. Till next time, y'all. Peace.